we so need to remember those words that what God says of us is what is true of us. And we need to remember too what God says in His Word about our days and circumstances is also what's most true. On this Palm Sunday, we're going to look at the inspired historical record of that first Palm Sunday. So turning your Bibles to Mark chapter 11 as we kick off what we know as Holy Week. If you have your Bibles and you look at the heading of Mark 11, it should say the triumphal entry. Yet if you dig deeply into this passage, the people who were there wouldn't say that that was their experience at all. It seemed for a moment like a triumphal entry, but it didn't last in their minds. It's almost as if evil had pulled the old Jedi mind trick on the crowd. I'm sure you remember the Jedi mind trick. It occurs in the very first Star Wars movie that was released in 1977. I remember actually sitting in the theater watching it and being amazed. Young Luke Skywalker is searching for Obi-Wan Kenobi, and he finds him, and Luke has his two droids, R2-D2 and C-3PO. And Obi-Wan takes them to this town that is run by the Empire, and the stormtroopers are looking through everyone that comes in to try to find these two droids. You see, these droids have a secret message from Princess Leia to the rebellion to the resistance, and it's critical that the message gets out. But when they come into this town, there are stormtroopers that are asking questions. So Obi-Wan Kenobi uses the Jedi mind trick. The stormtrooper asks about the droids and what their business is. And Obi-Wan just waves his hand and says, these are not the droids you're looking for. And sure enough, the stormtrooper looks at his squad and says, these are not the droids we're looking for. Then Obi-Wan also waves his hand again and says, you may carry on, move along. And sure enough, the stormtrooper says, you may carry on, move along. Obi-Wan Kenobi used the force to blind the eyes and to confuse the mind of the stormtrooper. To think that they hadn't found the droids they were looking for, when in fact, those droids were right in front of them. On the first Palm Sunday, Jesus, according to multiple Old Testament prophecies, enters Jerusalem as the promised king the anointed one, the Christ. And for a moment, the entire crowd is filled with anticipation and expectation. But then it's like the enemy, the devil, waves his hand over the crowd and says, this is not the king you're looking for. And the people buy it. And they say to one another, this is not the king 
that we're looking for. Satan is still trying to wave his evil hand and use his evil force to blind our minds and our hearts. This COVID-19 crisis with all of its social distancing and unemployment and furloughs and lost business, the enemy is waving his hand trying to get us to believe this is not the king we were looking for. This is not the kingdom that we were looking for. Jesus is not in control. He does not care. You don't think he's effective, this enemy? Just consider the amount of fear and anxiety and disappointment and disillusionment that so many people are experiencing. The heading in your Bibles is the triumphal entry. But the devil's mind trick is getting us to believe this isn't the triumph that we were looking for. During Advent, we sing a song, Come Thou Long-Expected Jesus, born to set your people free. As we look at this passage in Mark 11, it would seem that we need a Lenten hymn that would be called, Come Thou Long Unexpected Jesus. How do we respond when Jesus reveals himself in ways that we were never expecting? and leads us into circumstances that we wish just weren't occurring. Well, the text lays out God's plan for us to overcome the evil force of the enemy and to realize Jesus is the king we're looking for. So let me read the text this morning. Mark 11 Verses 1 through 11. This is God's word. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying that colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let him go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, 
as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. May God bless the hearing and teaching of his inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word. This is God's word. He gave it to us because he loves us. And he wants us to be able to overcome the evil force of the enemy when he raises and waves his hand and says, this is not the king you are looking for. And we're able to learn from Scripture, oh yes, he is. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that through the gift of technology even, your word would bear fruit. And God, remind us in these unique times for us that around the world, in closed countries, this is how so many of your people get fed. And so, Lord, we pray for the persecuted church. We pray that during these times, the message of the gospel would go out far and wide. But God, we also pray that the gospel would take fresh root in our hearts even now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So how do we live when everything around us tempts us, blinds us, and causes us to think this isn't the king we're looking for? Well, we need a fresh glimpse of the sovereign Lord Jesus Christ. Three glimpses we get in this text. First of all, we need to remember to trust King Jesus in the midst of shattered expectations. Look at verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, now, they who were drawing near to Jerusalem was Jesus and the twelve, but it was also hundreds. It was thousands we find out from the context that Passover was at hand. And Jews from all over the Roman Empire were streaming into Jerusalem. Jerusalem was packed full of Jewish pilgrims getting ready for the Passover. And as they celebrated Passover, which celebrates, of course, the deliverance of Israel, from bondage to Egypt, expectations were sky high that a new exodus, a new deliverance was on the horizon. Last week, we learned from John chapter 11 that Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead and the crowd was abuzz. All of Jerusalem was talking about, is this the king? Could this be the Christ? Is this Messiah? Come to set us free from Roman bondage. And then notice where Jesus is. Look at verse 1. He's at the Mount of Olives. Now, the Mount of Olives is just east of Jerusalem, and it overlooks the entire city. You can see the temple. You can see everything. You could see the bustling people running around. And what you need to know is Jesus being on the Mount of Olives fulfilled another scripture about the coming king. The Mount of Olives is prophesied all throughout the Old Testament as the place from which 
the King, the Messiah, the Christ, will rule over the nations and defeat all of God's people's enemies. In Zechariah 14, verses 3 through 9, we learn that the Lord will fight against the nations at the Mount of Olives, and the Lord will be enthroned as king. People's expectations were so high that what they were feeling in their hearts began to be expressed on their lips. Look at verse 8. Some spread leafy branches. Palm branches, we find out in John 12. Palm branches were the symbol of victory. They were given to Greek athletes when they won. Roman generals came parading through with their victorious armies after the victory on top of palm branches. And their expectations in their actions, again, came out of their mouths. And look at verse 9. They cried out, Hosanna! Now, Hosanna is from a prophetic messianic psalm. Psalm 118, verse 25. And the Hebrew means literally, save us, we pray. And the Greek uh, in, of, of Psalm 118, 25, in verse 9, is the word Hosanna. Lord, save expectations were at a fever pitch. This is the one. It's happening. But then look at verse 11. He entered Jerusalem, went into the temple, looked around, and left. End of parade. End of victory celebration with a loud thud. This clearly isn't the king we were looking for. And I know that's exactly how a lot of us are feeling right now. This isn't the kingdom we were looking for. This isn't the victory we were expecting. COVID-19 has shattered our expectations that we can keep ourselves safe. Shattered our expectations that we are in control. This week for many of us, as we head into it, is bombarded with disappointments. Today was to be, Palm Sunday, our, our great worship service with all the choirs. And they put in all that work. And now it's postponed. Shattered expectations. It was our granddaughter's birthday this week. We were supposed to be heading then to Colorado to celebrate a baby shower for our daughter. We weren't able to participate. Expectations shattered. For many of our young people, high school seniors, college seniors, their senior year has ended with a thud. Our own school, Westminster, was likely to have the state champ trophy in soccer. And the season has been canceled. Shattered expectations. 
We have friends in our church whose parents are sick and they can't be with them in their pain. We have other friends who've actually lost parents during this pandemic and they can't grieve or celebrate the homegoing with any of their friends. Staying home has revealed marriage problems. As I said earlier, their lost incomes, expectations are being absolutely shattered, wrecked. This is not the victory we were looking for. You know, shattered expectations can quickly turn to disillusionment. And disillusionment can turn to anger. And anger can turn to hostility. And that is exactly what happened after this Palm Sunday. This is not the king we're looking for. And they go from shouts of Hosanna to in just a few days, crucify him. They go from saying, blessed is the one who comes to trading a murderer's life in exchange for the life of Jesus. The fact is, he was the king they were looking for, but they were blinded to the reality. And things this week for the disciples were going to get much, much worse. Jesus was going to be betrayed. He was going to be denied. He was going to be tortured. He was going to be crucified. He was going to be buried. More expectations shattered. And yet on Easter Sunday, other things were shattered. With the resurrection of Christ, sin was shattered. Death was shattered. Hopelessness was shattered. So when death seems like it most has the upper hand, this is not the life we were looking for. Don't you believe it? Don't you fall for it? This is the king. Trust him. This is the king that out of the ashes brings hope, that out of death brings life, that out of trial and trouble and hardship brings grace. Stay tuned. The story isn't finished yet. And it is moving on as the king leads to a redemptive and good purpose. All may not be right now as you expected, but I promise you with King Jesus in control, not everything right now is as it seems. Trust Jesus as king in the midst of shattered expectations. And then secondly, 
approach Jesus as king in the midst of uncertain outcomes. We're all facing uncertainty right now. You're probably feeling the weightiness of it, the uncertainty every day, perhaps every hour. You need to know the disciples were filled with uncertainty as well. If you go to John 12, the text that is similar to this reveals that the disciples had no idea what was going on. They were absolutely clueless. They were absolutely confused. And so when you look at verse 1, it says, Jesus sent two of his disciples into the town. Now, we don't know which two they were, but I guarantee you they were thinking, uh, why us? Can't you send all of us? Or if you're going to send two, can't you send two others? You need to realize Jesus had been talking continually about his coming suffering and his death. And the disciples were absolutely confused. They had no idea what he was talking about. But wave of the hand, it certainly didn't seem like the king they were looking for. But what we learn about Jesus in this passage is that he is the sympathetic high priest whose compassionate, patient, tender, and kind toward our confusion when it comes to uncertain outcomes. He anticipates the anxiety and worry of the two disciples. And he says in verse 2, you will find a colt, untie it, and bring it. He's saying to the disciples, look, I know that because of what I did to Lazarus, though some people want to make me king, others, the leaders of the Jews, they want to kill me. And so you're, I'm sure, fearful of meeting hostile people on your way. But you're going to find a colt, you're going to untie it, and you're going to bring it. In other words, you'll come back. You can trust me on this. But the point is, Jesus is approachable. He cares about the things that make us anxious. He cares about the things that bring us worry. He even addresses the second anxiety of an uncertain outcome. Well, what if they don't let us take the cult? So Jesus says in verse 3, If anyone asks why, say, the Lord has need of it. Our compassionate king understands our anxiety over uncertain outcomes and seeks to give us comfort. Look, he even anticipates the anxiety of an uncertain outcome of the owner of the cult. Look, we don't know how important this cult was to the owner. It may have been something that was absolutely essential to what he was planning on doing in his life. And in G verse 3, Jesus says, tell them that we will send it back to you. We'll send the cult back. You're going to get it. Even the anxieties that might have been present over the uncertain outcome by the owner was addressed by Christ. We can trust this king to be compassionate and tender toward us in the midst of our uncertainty. Look at verse 7. They brought the colt 
and Jesus sat on it. Now, what's the significance of the colt? Well, again, we can go to Zechariah. Zechariah 9, verse 9 writes, Rejoice, O Israel, your king comes gently, humbly, riding on a donkey. Jesus doesn't come riding a war horse. Jesus doesn't come and demand duty and obedience right from the start. Jesus comes as a man of peace, with peaceful intentions. This is the same Jesus who in Matthew 11 said, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We've never needed to approach this king of compassion more than now. COVID-19. Nobody so far has been able to fix this. All of the greatest minds in the world are at work on this. And so far, all they can tell us is how to create better supply chains and how to engage in social distancing. The great minds and leaders of the world can't contain this. They're merely hoping to slow it down. The greatest leaders in industry, technology, medical services, healthcare, government, they're helpless to fix this thing. Can you ever remember a time like this? What do we do? Hebrews 4. We have a sympathetic king, a sympathetic, compassionate high priest. So approach him with your anxieties, your worries, your fears, your disappointments. This king will humbly receive you. In the 19th century, in the late 19th century, late 1800s, there was a prime minister of England named William Gladstone. He was also a theologian, a Christian. And it fell to Gladstone one day to approach Parliament to inform them of the death of a member of the royal family, Princess Alice. On December 14, 1878, Gladstone went to Parliament and explained that the princess's little daughter had contracted diphtheria. The doctors told Princess Alice to practice social distancing and to certainly not kiss her daughter or she would contract the disease as well. But a day came when Alice's daughter was struggling to breathe. And she began to panic. And she cried out, Mama, Mama. And Princess Alice, without even thinking about her own safety, scooped up her little girl in her arms and tried to soothe her. And the little girl looked up and said, Mama, kiss me. And Princess Alice bent down and kissed her daughter to assure her of her love. As a result, Princess Alice did in fact contract diphtheria. And that's why she died. 
King Jesus is that kind of royalty. He kissed us in our sin. And it killed him. You can approach this king with all the uncertain outcomes of your lives. He'll never turn you away. He will speak tenderly toward you. And he will call you to hope in him. Approach this king honestly, vulnerably. Approach Jesus in the midst of uncertain outcomes. And then thirdly and finally, obey Jesus as king in the midst of confusing chaos. I've already given you several details about how confusing and chaotic this time was because of the resurrection of Lazarus, because the, the Jewish leaders were now out to kill Jesus. You need to also realize that James and John, one of the two pillars of the 12, had asked Jesus for special places in the kingdom. And we learned that the other 10 disciples were filled with resentment. We also learned that along the way, the 12 were arguing among themselves as to which one was going to be the greatest. I mean, this scene was a mess, total confusing chaos. And when life is confusing, it is never more important in the midst of chaos to simply seek to do the next right thing. Jesus is the king we've been looking for, but a king rules, a king reigns, a king issues commands for the good of his subjects. And every command to obey from Jesus is an invitation to our highest delight and pleasure. Never forget that. The world wants to say, these aren't the commands you're looking for. But Jesus is inviting us to delight. And if he warns us about some sin, he's trying to protect us from experiencing our worst nightmare. If you look at the passage, you'll notice that all through it, Jesus gives commands and all through it, the disciples obey. In verse 2, he sent. In verse 4, they went. In verse 2, he commands untie. In verse 4, they obey and untied. In verse 3, he says, say to them. In verse 6, they obey and they told them. It is especially important in the time of confusing chaos to not stop and ask questions to not ask why, but to do the next right thing by obeying. If there's a tornado coming here in Birmingham, we yell to our children, quick, come to mom and father. Let's go downstairs. There's no time to explain. There's no time for them to ask questions. It's chaos. The safest thing they can do is give instant obedience. And the safest thing for us to do as God's people, especially now, but all the time, 
is to give instant obedience to Jesus. We find out in verse 2 that the cult was one upon which no man had ever ridden. In the Old Testament, we learn that things that are set apart for holy use must never have been used by humanity in any other way. We're reminded again that this king is the Holy One. And as the Holy One, yes, he's approachable. Yes, he's compassionate. Yes, he's tender. Yes, he's our friend. But let's not ever forget, he's also the Holy One of God. He's Lord. He's Master. He's to be obeyed. And we are to surrender. Look at verse 3. They're to say to the owner of the colt, the Lord has need of it. Requisition of property was the right of kings. And Jesus may perform requisition of any of our property anytime he chooses because it's not ours. It's his. Verse 8, many spread their cloaks on the road with leafy branches. Again, palm branches. That's why it's Palm Sunday. In other words, they laid out the red carpet. They honored Christ. And we're called to honor him with our lives as well. Romans 12, 1 and 2, because God is merciful, because he's gracious, because he's tender, because he's our Savior, we're to offer our bodies, that's all of us, as living sacrifices acceptable to God. That's what God calls us to do in times of confusing chaos, to offer ourselves afresh. A missionary translator was trying to translate the New Testament into the unknown spoken language in a written form of this tribe in the bush in Southeast Asia. He was having trouble coming up with a word for obey because obedience wasn't a value among this particular tribe. After working out in the jungle for a ways uh, just to have some peace and quiet, he came back to his hut and he whistled for his dog. And the dog immediately came running. One of the tribal leaders was there and saw this happen. And he said to the missionary, your dog is all ear. Suddenly the missionary knew how to translate obedience. To have all ear. As we head into Holy Week, as we continue to work through this pandemic, are you all ear to the King Jesus? He is the one we're looking for. The first step of obedience is to put your hope and trust in Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords and the only Savior for all humanity. To put your trust in Christ means you transfer your trust in your own efforts, in your own goodness, even in your own religiosity, 
Going to church doesn't save you. Trying to obey the commands doesn't deliver you from sin. We transfer our trust to this king that the enemy is saying, this is not the king you're looking for. This king who kissed us in our sin. We transfer our trust from ourselves to him and his finished work on the cross that we, that we commemorate this Friday. We put our hope in the resurrection that occurs on Easter Sunday. And we trust the promises of grace that if we would repent and transfer our trust to Jesus, that we too would experience resurrection, new life. Have you put your hope in Christ? So the next time the devil tries to use his force and waves his hand, this is not the Jesus you're looking for. This is not the victory you're looking for. Don't be fooled. God's redemptive story moves on. And even through death, Jesus can turn death backwards. Run to your king. Approach him. Trust him. Obey him. Especially in times when we can't see the coming of the kingdom. When in fact, even now, it's coming all around us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this Palm Sunday where we remember that Jesus was king. He, he wasn't what people expected, but he was exactly who we needed. And God, we pray that we would offer our lives afresh. We would lay ourselves on the altar before you. God, show us those areas of our lives that we've held back. Show us what is the source of our anxiety? What is the source of our fear during this pandemic? And let us surrender our desires to you afresh. Lord Jesus, we worship you. We honor you. We love you. We trust you. We approach you as our sympathetic high priest. And we ask you, God, have mercy on us. Have mercy on this world. And may millions and millions come to Christ through this holy week. And particularly bless Easter services around the world. In Jesus' name, amen.